In a moment, I'm going to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, Luke 8, 26 and following. Before I do that, I'd like to invite us to a time of prayer together. The events in Orlando, uh, the crises in our world uh, always call us to prayer, as well as our family concerns congregationally for the sick and the grieving and the special needs. So let's bow and be in God's presence in a moment of silence, meditation and reflection to simply experience the living God among us and then I'll lead us in family prayer. Oh great God, we thank you for every promise of scripture that is alive in our hearts and minds this morning for the reassurance of your love and to know that once and for all, Jesus has died for us once and for all. As our kingdoms crumble, you are exalted. And we thank you for your great faithfulness. That faithfulness is the sure foundation of our lives. You never fail us. And we are forever in need of that reminder. As we lift up those in Orlando and the surrounding area who have been so devastated by the events of the last week, we pray for grieving families, for law enforcement, for all of those health caregivers, and for all who are ministering and struggling and dealing with the reality. And we pray for all of the pain and all of the, the difficulties in our country, that you might be the God who heals us as we turn to you. We pray for our world, for places of warfare, that there might be security and for the homeless, for uh, the refugees. We pray for our military personnel and all of their families. And today, God, we pray uh, for our own South Dakota team uh, returning from uh, their mission trip, that you'll bless them with rest and fortify the work that continues to go on there for all of our mission partners. And on this eve of Vacation Bible Camp and our basketball camp, we pray that your Holy Spirit might work in the lives of the children, the leaders, the teachers, the families impacted, that the gospel seed might be sown, that hearts might be touched. We pray for the sick and the grieving in our congregation, for those even gathered here today with special needs and with burdens on their heart. We pray that you might be the God who lifts and the God who heals and blesses. Be among us now as your word is proclaimed that Jesus Christ might be exalted. Hearts might be turned to him. Repentance might happen in our lives, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning in verse 26 and reading through verse 39, and I invite you, if you're able, to stand as God's Word comes among us, and as I read this aloud... Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And Jesus stepped out on land, and a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. 
For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many, many demons have entered me. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there was on the hillside a large herd of swine feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by the demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got up into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I don't know how many sermons you remember for a long, long time, but uh, I remember when I was 14 years old, I heard a sermon on this passage of Scripture. Uh, It was a little Maple Grove Baptist Church, the church where I was raised and nurtured, country church. It was a college student preaching. Uh, He was from Southwest Baptist College, it was called at that time. Uh, And it was a Sunday afternoon associational meeting. We'd had dinner on on the grounds and then had an afternoon worship. And this student pastor preached this sermon on this on this strange passage of Scripture, and I still remember it, and I still remember my reaction to it. I thought it was vivid. I thought it was unsettling. Uh, The story, let's face it, is odd. The story is, is a little bit troubling, and it's just plain strange, and it doesn't fit our neat and tidy 20th and 21st century categories. It's, it's sort of messy, and, and it's sort of uh, awkward. And so here we are dealing with a very strange text that doesn't automatically relate into our culture and our way of thinking. So maybe the best thing for us to do is to start trying to identify with this poor man who was so demon-possessed, to learn what we can about him, and in the process, see if we can draw any parallels with our own lives. What do we know about this man from Scripture? Well, we know, first of all, that he was driven by violent forces from within, and that he was driven by violent forces in such a way that it was a self-destructive pattern for him. Anybody here living a life of self-destructive patterns? We also know that he was naked. That is, in that culture and time, as in ours, that was a 
uh, to be completely vulnerable. It was to lose all sense of self-respect, all sense of self-dignity. It was to be totally isolated from culture. He was away from community. He was away from church. Scripture says he was living in the tombs, in the cemeteries, which, by the way, made him ceremonially unclean, not fit to be any Jewish worship. Living in the tombs, homeless, strange. And Myron Madden has posited the theory that perhaps this man was dealing with unresolved grief, the death of a loved one that he just couldn't come to terms with, and it had driven him absolutely to distraction and to where he just had a break from reality and he couldn't cope. We don't know all of the details. He's living in the tombs. We also know that this is not a sudden onset. This is a chronic condition of his life because Scripture says that many times these forces had seized him. Verse 29. So it's a chronic condition that simply will not go away. And then maybe the most telling thing of all, the people around him didn't know how to handle him, so they just chained him up. That's what we do with people we don't understand. We just sort of wrap them up. People who frighten us, they chained him up. And he kept breaking the chains. But he was enslaved in a slavery that was deeper than even the shackles that he wore. Now, what kind of demons are you wrestling with this morning? And what kind of chains are you wearing? You know, the chains that we wear are not always visible. They can be chains of a, a childhood of abuse or neglect that continues to wrap us up and tie us up and keep us from living. It could be the chains of addiction, addicted to a, a particular lifestyle, addicted to possessions and, and status. It could be addiction to pornography or alcohol or other drugs. It could be an addiction to all kinds of forces It could be that you're living with a violent temper that you just cannot bring under control. It could be any number of things. Wonder what your demons are. Wonder what your chains of slavery are. And then here's an interesting thing. It wasn't just one demon. Uh, The the plural is used. Many forces working on this man. And have you noticed that our our problems and our flaws and our our addictions don't come individually, they come in clusters with multiple problems. I, I'm always fascinated by Jesus' questions. Jesus' questions are always on point and always diagnostic. And the very first words that Jesus speak uh, in this story are found in verse 30 when, the, when Jesus looks at the man and says, what is your name? Interesting question. What is your name? Now, the literal Greek reads... What name fits you? That's also interesting. What name fits you? Describe for me your life. And the man replies without hesitation, My name is Legion. Legion was a, a group of Roman soldiers numbering between five and 6,000. So basically the man says, I am warfare. I am violence. I am force. I am rebellion. My name is riot. I have this junk going on in my life at cross purposes. And we can begin to identify with him 
when we start thinking about the poison that's bubbling around in our own souls, the stuff we haven't dealt with, that we haven't let Jesus heal us from, all that stuff bubbling around. I think the question that Jesus asked even goes deeper than that. What is your name could also mean who were you originally before you got sick? What is your name? Tell me, tell me who you want to be. In other words, you have an identity. You're more than this sickness, more than this demon possession. You have a worth. You have a name. You're not just a face. You're not just a patient. You're not just a statistic. You're not just a number. You're a person. God made you. You matter to God. You have significance. You have worth. You have value. Tell me your name. You're unique. You know, one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth in the flesh was to identify with all of our brokenness and pain and to touch our lives and to remind us that the Father has loved us before creation. That we don't come to earth having to create our worth and value. We don't live our lives trying to create and produce value. We are valuable. We're created by God as valuable. And then Jesus came to redeem us from the forces of evil and to announce once again, you are a person of worth and value. You have a name. You're somebody to God. And that makes all the difference in the world. I'm also fascinated by the fact that early in this story, this, um, this man responds to Jesus in a way to push Jesus away. Now, it's, the, it's the, the voices within him, the forces within him telling, to Jesus, telling Jesus, leave us alone. But Jesus keeps his interest in him. Jesus keeps coming after him. And did you know that Jesus was more interested in a relationship with this man than the man was interested in a relationship with Jesus. Did you know that Christ this morning is even more interested in a relationship with you than you are in a relationship with him? That he never stops coming after you? That the long arm of his love can always rescue you, can always break your chains, can always heal you? can always redeem you, even more than we're interested in him. Heard the story of a woman who was absolutely at her wit's end. She said to her pastor, I can't take this anymore. I don't think I can hang on to God any longer. And then the pastor very wisely said to her, well, just remember, God is hanging on to us even when we can't hang on to him. And that's that kind of love, that unrelenting passion of Jesus to have a relationship with us, even in our yuck and messiness. And all those poisonous forces are just sort of bubbling around inside of us. And then this beautiful picture after the man is healed, where the townspeople and the farmers all come around, and Scripture says that they found the man, verse 35, 
they found the man who'd been possessed with demons sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. The transformation. By the way, did you know that's the posh... In Jewish vernacular, that's the phrase used for being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus. To be at the feet of someone was to be a student. So here is the posture of a disciple, healed and restored to sanity and to usefulness, his chains broken, and he's at the feet of Jesus as a learner, as a student, in the posture of a disciple. It's a beautiful picture. And Luke does a great job of painting the contrast between the people of the area and the man who was healed. The people of the area said to Jesus, go away from here. You're scaring the daylights out of us. While the man who was healed said, Jesus, I just want to be with you. What a contrast. And it's a reminder that without Jesus, we're always going to be afraid of people who are different from us. Without the love of Jesus in us, we're just going to put the people we're afraid of in one category and put chains on them and send them to the tombs. But with Jesus, we learn to see people differently. And with Jesus, the church has the courage to go into the cemeteries and the places of evil and the places of darkness. With Jesus, the church has the courage to go in the places of decay and destruction to be the presence of Christ. Without Jesus, the church will never have the courage to go into the dark places. We'll always play it safe. We'll stay away from the tombs. We'll stay away from things we don't understand and the ways that God works that are out, the, out of the bounds of our understanding. And then this, the closing two verses. The man begs to come with Jesus, but Jesus says, no, you return home. Now, notice specifically the wording. You return home and declare how much God has done for you. And then the next verse says, so he went away. The next phrase says, so he went away proclaiming to the city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus said, you go tell what God has done for you, and what the man talked about was what Jesus had done for him. He wasn't a theologian. He'd never had a course in Christology. He'd never studied the doctrine of the Trinity, but the only way he knew to talk about what God had done in his life was to talk about what Jesus had done in his life. There's a lot today I don't understand about world religions. I know we need to be respectful. We need to be loving to all people, and I just tell people this, there's a lot I don't understand, but this much I know, the only way I know to talk about what God is doing in my life is to talk about Jesus Christ. And that's what the man did. He shared Christ with others. Jesus sent him back to share. Did you know that your testimony, what Christ has done in your life, is unique? There's no testimony in the world just like it. And did you know that your testimony, sharing what Jesus has done for you, no one can argue with it. They can argue with Scripture. They can argue doctrine. They can argue which church is the right church. But no one can argue with what has happened to you personally. And you have a chance to share that every day. At work, with friends, at school, wherever. 
I heard a great story about a lady who uh, lived through the fall of communism in Russia. And for the first time in her life, when communism fell, she had the opportunity to study all the religions of the world and make up her own mind. And she studied all the major religions. When she came to the Christian faith, she read the Gospels, and she fell in love with Jesus. And she repented and became a follower of Christ. And today, she's working in a publishing house printing Christian literature, telling the story of Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, has Jesus liberated your life? Has he removed the chains? If he hasn't, would you let him? And if Jesus is in the business of liberating you this morning, if Jesus is in the business of quieting the riot of demons in you, Have you told anyone? Have you shared it? If you haven't, start sharing it and share Him, Jesus, the one who can always reach us, the one who can always liberate us, Jesus, the one in whom there is never any disappointment. Let's pray together. Our loving and great God, we thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you that we never get tired of hearing these stories of Jesus' power to confront and overcome evil. Bless our lives this day and this week with freedom. Open our hearts to the specific places you want to set us free and share this week. Through Christ we pray. Amen.